Amen. Please take your seats. And welcome to a new series that we're starting today called Beyond Death, Are You Ready for Eternity? Just before we enter into that new series, I just want to say that um, in the autumn and this coming winter, we are going to be making discounted resources available for you uh, during the different weeks. And today, what's proving very popular amongst people is this book by Tom Hess called Pray for the Peace of Jerusalem. It's an excellent book. I read it on Saturday. And uh, we really need to understand the significance of Jerusalem in God's plans. And I know that you that come to the five o'clock service, you love the word, you want to get into the word, you do need to know the importance of Jerusalem because, you know, one day there's going to be a new Jerusalem and we're all going to live in it. It's going to come down from heaven. And this book by Tom Hess is excellent because it encourages us how to pray for the uh, for Jerusalem, the blessing of Jerusalem. It's got an excellent spiritual history of Jerusalem through the ages, uh, the, the, the city of God as it's called and God's passion for Jerusalem and why there was always so much turmoil, both natural and spiritual, around that city. If you want to understand history, I'm not just talking about history here and there, but if you really want to understand the history of the world, Jerusalem's right at the center of it. Both God's history and man's history, and all the turbulence that is taking place over the centuries, and even today, revolving around that one city. A lot of spiritual warfare's taking place. And God's got a plan for Jerusalem, not just the Jews that live in Jerusalem, but the Arabs and everybody. God wants to bless that city, and that's why the enemy's attacking it. So I encourage you to get hold of this book. It's available at the bookshop for just three pounds. So it really is worth getting so that you can have that understanding and that dimension of the city that God loves the most, that's dearest to his heart, that Jesus prophesied over and wanted to gather to himself like a chicken gathers her chicks. This is an excellent book there for you. Well, if you have your Revival Times, you'll see on page four uh, that we are starting a new series that will be taking place um, throughout October and November called Beyond Death, Are You Ready for Eternity? When I was discussing this with our senior minister, Colin Dye, uh, we both felt that this was a very important subject to teach because it's amazing the, uh, the ignorance amongst God's people of what actually takes place when we die. And you know, the Christian faith primarily is about what happens when you die. R.T. Kendall himself once uh, talks about how he wrote a tract uh, an evangelistic tract for his lighthouse project when Artie Kendall was the senior minister of Westminster Chapel for all those decades. Every Saturday, he would lead the street teams and preach the gospel. And so he devised a tract to take out on the streets. And uh, in that tract, it talked about what happens when you die and that Christianity and the gospel, its message is all about what happens to you when you die. And he sent it off to the publishers for them to publish it. And the publisher got back to him and said, are you sure you want to say that, RT? And he said, what? Are you sure you want to say that the message of the gospel is all about what happens to you when you die? What about all the things that God can do for you whilst you live? And RT said, well, that's exactly my point. Uh, what happens when you're on earth is a minuscule moment compared to what will happen to you for eternity. So what we are doing, we're living on earth. You know, modern day Christianity is fixated by this life. And a lot of Christians are like, all I care about is what I get out of this life. And very little attention is given to what's going to happen after you die. And everything that we do now, I mean, we have to understand and get it clear in our minds that you are nothing but grass. Do you know that? You're just grass when it comes to eternity. All flesh is of glass, grass, okay? 
uh, the Bible said that means you're here today, you're gone tomorrow when we talk about eternity. The Bible also tells us that the human lifespan is like the dew. You wake up in the morning, you walk out, the dew is there, but by midday, it's gone. The flower fades. And so the word of the Lord endures forever, but your life is gone in a moment. Gone in a moment. And so as Christians, we really need to realize that our existence, that vast, vast majority of our existence is going to take place after we physically die. I'll be explaining that. But after we physically die, five minutes into eternity, when you die and your spirit is five minutes into eternity, you are going to be shocked and amazed. And you are going to realize, my goodness me, I didn't realize how fragile human life is. And also, I did not realize that what I, the choices and decisions that I made in those few short years, 70, 80 max, the average UK life expectancy for males at the moment in the UK is 78 years, 82 for females. But your, but your, your existence expectancy when you die is forever. The choices that you make on this earth will affect your existence when you die forever and ever and ever. Life is precious. And what we do on earth is precious because it has eternal consequences. I mean, Paul really had a revelation of this. He would say, do you know what? My light sufferings, my sufferings are light in, in compared to the eternal weight of glory. If you know Paul's light sufferings, nearly being stoned to death, beaten, rejected, shipwrecked however many times. And he says, my light afflictions. Well, they don't sound light afflictions to us. But he was thinking from an eternal perspective. All great saints in times of revival have a great appreciation of the reality of eternity. And they live their lives and are prepared to suffer on earth because they know the glories that it will, be, it will bring them in eternity. They know that these few, short, tiny years on earth, however long God grants you, are nothing compared to the conscious, eternal existence that takes place when human beings die. Uh, like R.T. said, the gospel is primarily a message about what happens when you die. But popular Christianity today speaks very little about what happens after you die. And a lot of popular Christianity is all about what you get now. As if all that you would have is now. Uh, I want this, I want that. Give me health, give me wealth, give me strength, give me long life. Oh, and when I die... The cherry on the cake is, I go to heaven. You've got it all wrong. All wrong. You can't understand suffering unless you have an understanding of eternity. Many people, including Christians, struggle greatly with the um, topic of suffering. But one of the main reasons that people wrongly struggle with the topic of suffering is because they're not thinking eternally. They, they are stumbled because they're acting as if the suffering on this earth, in the end, is anything of significance. In the end, it's not. He will wipe away every tear. He will right every wrong. He will deal with all things. Whatever we face on earth, if we face it eternally, we find that it's very little. Discipleship, going the way of the cross will only take place if you understand eternity. People that don't live as disciples are too addicted to this life and this world. So what we really need is a fresh revelation that we are just living in the tiny seconds before the billions and trillions of years of eternity that we will experience. I'm not minimizing our life on earth. I've already said that our choices and decisions on this earth will have eternal 
consequences. Not just a few years, but eternal consequences. Now, I'm going to begin today by looking at the immortality of the soul. In other words, do human beings, when they're born, will we exist forever? And we're going to look at many things in this series. We're going to look about what is heaven, who goes there, uh, will we reign with Jesus on earth when he returns, what is resurrection, and what will our resurrection bodies be like, uh, what are the judgments that take place after we die beyond death, what will hell be like, does it last forever, do people go there, and do they remain there forever, uh, what will... Um, what will, uh, what will rewards be like in heaven? There are rewards that are available for the believers in heaven. How do you get them? What are they? Are they worth having? We're going to look at these things throughout these next few weeks and hopefully get ourselves ready for eternity because if you're ready for eternity, you will live your life soberly and in the best way that God wants you to do. So when we begin to look at the immortality of the human soul or spirit, what we're asking is what happens to you when you die? There's many different views of what takes place when you die. Our very popular view today in uh, the secular West is that when you die, you simply cease to exist. I don't know if you know anybody who believes that. I know people in my family that don't believe in God, and they simply think that death is the end of everything, that this is all you get in life. Make the most of it, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow, not only will you die, but you will cease to exist. That's a very popular concept amongst Westerners today that aren't believers. Others believe that when you die, you go into some sort of soul sleep. A lot of cults believe this, that when you die, you just simply go into an unconscious sleep. So if you died 2,000 years ago, you'd go into an unconscious sleep. You wouldn't even know what was happening. It'd be as if you were dead. And then when the end comes, you'll be woken up. So the idea being, say if, if, if I died today and shut, shut my eyes, died, when I opened them, it could be three, 4,000 years later when the end comes. And I don't know any difference, okay? So some people believe that when you die, you enter a soul sleep and you are totally unconscious until the end comes, whatever that means, and then suddenly you wake up. So in other words, it's like a moment. You die, those that have been dead 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years, they're totally unconscious, and when the end comes, they'll wake up as if it had just been a moment. That's a, a view. But I need to begin without taking anything for granted and, and with, the with the question, is death the end? Is death the end? When somebody dies, do they cease to exist? Because if we cease to exist, then truly this life is all we have and we might as well live for it. But if human beings exist after they die, then we've got a lot of thinking to do about what that is and what that means to us today and, and what will happen. Before we go a bit further into that, we have to ask about the nature of the human being. And basically, the nature of a human being is twofold. You are spirit and you are body. Are you a body or you are soul? Sometimes in the New Testament, it speaks about your body, soul, and spirit. And we could go into that a little bit more. Your soul often refers to your mind, your emotions, your will, your memory. And you can look at human beings in a threefold way. But you can also, and the Bible does that, look at human beings in basically a twofold way. Because human beings are basically on the one part physical and on the other part spiritual. And the use of the word soul in the Old Testament is interchangeable with spirit. So we have a physical aspect of our life and a spiritual aspect of our life. Now John chapter 4 verse 24 tells us that God is spirit. 
That is his nature. God is essentially spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, Now the Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So again, we see the Lord there being spirit. So God is spirit. We know that when Jesus was incarnated, he took on flesh, didn't he? God became man. But when Jesus was raised again, his body was raised, the physical body was raised spiritually. He could move from one place to another. He could walk through doors. He, he, he had a spiritual body. So God is essentially spirit. We know that uh, Psalm 54 verse 4 says that God makes his angels spirits. And so angels are also spiritual beings. We have God as an essentially a spiritual being. We have angels that are spiritual beings. In other words, they're not material. They're not, they do not have physical bodies, the angels. Now, they can manifest in a physical form, but then they can disappear again. But they are spiritual beings. You think of demons that are fallen angels, and they are spiritual beings, aren't they? And in the New Testament, we see that these spiritual beings don't have bodies, but they can inhabit bodies, can't they? And that's why we see that people can have demons that need to be cast out. They are somehow oppressing and influencing and utilizing by their demonic oppression human or animal bodies to do their will, yes? Do you remember the Gadarean demoniac? He didn't just have one spirit. He had legion which is many spirits. And he was totally possessed by these spiritual beings that were oppressing, overruling, and utilizing his body for their own ends. And when Jesus cast out those spiritual beings, those demons, where did they go? A herd of pigs. And so these are just examples of spiritual beings that don't have material bodies. But when we come to mankind, when we come to humanity, we find that we are essentially spiritual beings, but we also have physical bodies. We also have physical bodies. We have a spiritual nature, and we also have a physical nature. And these two natures, although in one sense I could emphasize the fact that you know, we are one, we're spiritual and physical. But I'm not going to emphasize that side. I'm going to emphasize the other side, that your spirit and your body can be separated. Your spirit and your body can be separated. Uh, the day of resurrection, when we are raised from the dead, our physical selves and spiritual selves will be brought together forever spiritually, but they can be separated um, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. To some of you, you might say, well, I know all this already. Well, bear with me because I can't assume anything. And over the weeks, we'll be getting deeper and deeper into many of these things about what happens beyond death. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. And then verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God, who is spirit, created man in his own image. Therefore, man must have a spiritual nature. God, who is spirit, created humankinds who also have spirits. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 9 speaks about God being the father of spirits, meaning that he gave, he, he brought us into being. Furthermore, we have had earthly fathers to discipline us, Hebrews 12 9, and we respected them. Shall we not, not much more be subject to the father of spirits? When we look at how we were actually formed, just there in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 shows us something. 
Very interesting. It says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being or a living soul. Now, here we have the two parts of man, you see. We have the physical part. And the physical part of human beings came from the earth. It was formed out of the dust. And so you get the picture, and often the Bible will use the picture of the potter and the clay, won't it? And the picture is, is God getting the clay of the material the, from the earth and fashioning a body. And you can almost imagine God fashioning out of the clay of the earth uh, a human body, the first human Adam, and making his nose and his eyes and his ears and his mouth and, and everything like this. And then in the end, you've got this body fashioned, but is it living? Not by itself. It is not living by itself. What does God do? He breathes into the nostrils the breath of life. The breath of life into the nostrils. In other words, God breathes spirit. The actual phrase is, blow into his nostrils the living spirit. And man was now for a living creature. Creature. So God did something with man that he didn't do with any of the animals. With God, he breathed spirit, the breath of God. And then when that spirit entered Adam, he was suddenly alive. And you know, we have all been, uh, we have all can't been descended from Adam. Do you know that? Eve. God did not breathe into Eve. Notice that. God did not fashion a woman out of the soil and breathe spirit in. God took the rib, the body of Adam, and the spirit of, that was he'd put in Adam and put it in Eve. And he had the first two human beings. And then every time a husband and wife come, or every time a man and woman come together, when they create... A, a new being, they create that being physically and spiritually. I used to think that whenever a new uh, conception took place, and the sperm and the egg joined, I thought, oh yeah, the father brings the sperm, the mother has the egg, and then God puts the spark of the new being in there. I thought every baby, God put the spark of life there. Of course, that's not the case. When a man and woman come together in this conception, the spark comes from the two of them together. God has made us in his image, and we can bring life to our children. If God gave a new spark to every conception, then they wouldn't be fallen. They wouldn't be fallen natures. And part of our, as we produce children, takes place. But anyway, that's not really the focus of what I'm, I'm talking about. Now, these souls, these human souls, are not pre-existent. Sometimes people think that human souls somehow exist in heaven. Their spirits exist in heaven, and they've always existed. They've always come from God, and that these little sparks of life are there eternally, and then one day it drops into a life. That is not the case. The Bible teaches us, and I'll come to the scripture later, that the only person that has immortality, that it means exists forever and ever, the only person that has immortality in themselves is God. To God, the only immortal. In other words, the only one that has always existed from past to present is God himself. Uh, when you are Created when you, when, when you are conceived, you enter into existence for the first time, all right? The first time. But as we will see, once a human spirit has been created, that human spirit lasts forever. It is created immortal. Well, I'm coming to that later. Now, the natural life of Adam 
and the rest of us starts with a union of his spiritual and material nature. And so, life ends on earth with a separation of these same natures. A body without spirit is not alive. And so, when we die, what takes place is our spirit is taken from our body. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That's Genesis 3, verse 19. What part of Adam's nature is God addressing? His physical part, isn't he? He's speaking to his body part. When God said, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you shall surely die, what part of Adam's nature was he talking about? Pardon? He was talking about his physical life and his spiritual life. And this is where we have to make a distinction. When the Bible speaks about life, and when the Bible speaks about death, it can be meaning two things. When the Bible speaks about life, it can be referring to your physical existence on earth. All right? So um, when, when Elijah um, raised the um, son from, from the death, he came back to life. What do we mean by that? He came back to physical life. When Jesus called Lazarus forth, and Lazarus had been dead for four days, he came back to life, physical life. So whenever you read the word life and death, you have to ask yourself this question. Is this passage speaking about physical life and physical death, or is this passage speaking about spiritual life and spiritual death? And it's very important that you understand the distinctions. And so when God said you shall surely die, you are correct. He was speaking about spiritual but also physical death. Because when he said that when you eat of this, you will surely die. Did he die that moment? Not physically, did he? But at the moment that he ate of that fruit, the principle of death came into him physically and spiritually. And here in this verse, in verse 19, he says, You will return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So, as you well know, when you die, the physical part of you decays. Whatever happens to you, whether you're buried or whether you're cremated, your body returns to the earth, if I can put it, put it that way. But does that mean that your spirit, what happens to your spirit after that? We see that God formed Adam from the earth and that when he died physically, his body went back to the earth. But what happened to the breath of life that was in him? Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 7 is a good description of the decay of the physical life of somebody that's growing old and dying. Ecclesiastes uh, 12 verse 7. It talks about when your eyes grow dim and your grinders, that's your teeth cease and there's only few of them and your voice fails and dust returns to the earth that it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. We know that there's a phrase that is used about people that die, not only that their body returns to the ground, but their spirit is given up. And so Abraham in Genesis 25 verse 8, he gives up the ghost, the Old Testament, oh, the old King James Version says, ghost simply being an old-fashioned word for spirit. He gives up the spirit. Isaac gave up his spirit. Jacob gave up his spirit. Luke 23 verse 46, Jesus as he died physically on the cross, he commended his spirit to his father. Do you remember that? He commended his spirit. So what we're saying is that death is a separation of the human spirit or soul and body. 
I've already mentioned Elijah when he raised the, uh, uh, the widow's son from the dead. He came back to life, the Bible says, because his spirit came again into his life. And when he uh, raised the daughter, the ruler's daughter, from the dead, it says her spirit came again and she arose. So this is showing us that when the spirit and the body are together, there's life. But when we're talking about human death, it is a simple separation of body and soul or body and spirit. Now, what happens to the spirit? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 6 Paul says about Christians, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 6, he says, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. So right there, Paul is speaking about the moment of death on this earth, and he's saying for the Christian, the moment that the spirit is absent from the body, it is at home with the Lord. Um, yeah, that's good. Now, in Jesus' time, as there is in this time, there was a lot of discussion about what happened beyond death. And there were different views on what happened to a person when they died. Uh, Acts 23, verse 8 is worth turning to. Because you had two basic views. There were more, but two basic views. The Pharisees' view of what happened to you beyond death, and the Sadducees' view about what happened to you beyond death. Acts chapter 23 and verse 8. And Paul got them arguing about this because they were always arguing about this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Acts chapter 23 and verse 8. All right, let's go from verse 6. Verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And therefore arose a loud outcry, and the scribes and the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, we find no evil in this man. I won't turn to it, but you might be reminded of the passage in Luke chapter 20, verse 27. Luke chapter 20, verse 27. Where Jesus gets questioned about if a man had had, uh, if, if a wife had had five husbands and first died, married again, second died, married again, third died, married again, fourth died, married again, fifth died, married again, which would be her husband? And he had to explain, and that's a good passage for explaining what our lives will be like beyond death. But the Sadducees got into an argument because they didn't believe in a resurrection. And Jesus' answer to them was this, is that when God revealed himself to Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus, Jesus said, you see, if God said to, to Moses, I am currently the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is the God of the living, not the dead. And so what Jesus was saying to the Sadducees is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were still in existence. Not in their bodies on earth. Their bodies had decayed and gone. But their spirit was still existing. They were consciously existing beyond death. And God was their God right now. The Sadducees did not believe in the immortality of the soul. They believed, the Sadducees, that when you died, that was it. You ceased to exist, whereas the Pharisees believed that your soul existed after you physically died. It continued. The Pharisees believed in resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. So the Sadducees didn't believe that when you died, your soul or spirit continued. 
and they didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't have much hope, did they? They were Sadducees. That's why they were so sad, you see. <laughs> so when you die, your spirit survives death. Remember Jesus on the cross to the thief? Today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, today you'll cease to exist. You're going to die. That's all there is. Tough luck. He didn't say, today you will lose consciousness until the time of resurrection. He said, today you will be with me, experiencing paradise. Luke chapter 16, verse 19, the great parable of Lazarus and the rich man that we will come back to time and time again. A great picture into the continued existence of the human spirit or soul at the point after you physically die. Another great example of, of the continued existence of the human spirit after physical death is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Moses and Elijah were there with him. They were conscious. They were discussing with him. They could be perceived to be Elijah. They could be perceived to be Moses. But they didn't have their physical bodies. That they Their physical bodies had turned back into dust. And the great truth of Christianity is that one day, even that physical body that went back to the dust. You know what? God knows where those grains of dust are. And on the day of resurrection, God is going to take those grains of who you were. And he is going to raise, you, you are going to be reunited with your physical body. The dead in Christ, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, will be raised first. Their spirits will be reunited with the seed. The Bible says that when a believer dies, your physical body is like a seed. It's sown into the earth. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 42, and we will spend some time on the resurrection because there's so much ignorance about the resurrection. Your physical body, if you're a believer, when you die, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 42, that it's sown in corruption. But it, the very body that's sown in corruption, is raised in glory. Verse 44 of 1 Corinthians 15. It is sown a natural body. When you die, and your spirit departs your body. Your body is sown a natural body. But it is raised a spiritual body. The very physical body that is sown in death is going to be raised. But it's not just going to be raised like a little bit like Lazarus was raised back from the dead. No, your body is not going to be raised like it was sown. It's going to be raised as a spiritual body. Because your body is going to be raised glorified. Glorified. I always say... And we'll, we'll go deeper into this later in the series. That if you want to know the difference between your body right now, that will be sown in death, should Jesus tarry, and your body that you'll be raised with. If you want to know the difference, well, you're welcome to come to my back garden. Because in my back garden right now, acorns are falling on the grass. And you can pick up an acorn, and it's about that size. You all seen an acorn? But if you want to see the oak tree in my garden, it's the height of this ceiling. It is a huge oak tree. You look at the seed that is sown, that's your life, your physical life when it goes back to dust. But when it's raised, it's going to be the difference between that acorn and a mighty oak. You can't even imagine the type of body that you're going to be raised with. And it's going to be raised. The very physical body will be raised. It is the body that you died with. God can sort out all the atoms. I don't understand that. He knows. He knows which bits got your tag on. But he will raise it. But he will raise it spiritually. It'll be glorified. Isn't that amazing? And so... The resurrection is the reuniting of our body. Now, I've already mentioned this idea about soul sleep. Some people, including Christians, but usually it's the cults, believe that when you die, you lose consciousness until whatever happens, the resurrection or whatever that cult believes. That The Bible says that when people die, they fall asleep. 
And it's true, the word sleeping is used. When Jesus went to raise the uh, ruler's daughter, Jairus' daughter, they were all weeping and wailing. He said, don't worry about it. She's just asleep. Just asleep. And then he went, raised her from the dead, and the, her spirit entered into her body again. We know that in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, Thessalonians 4 verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4 13, just made a new Bible up, book of the Bible up. It says, concerning those fallen asleep, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. So some people, mainly cults, say, well, there you are, you see. What happens to you is when you die, you just fall asleep. You lose all consciousness. You don't know anything that's happening. And you stay in that state of sleep, unconsciousness, until you're raised from the dead or whatever the cult believes takes place. That is not the teaching of the Bible. Now, firstly, even when you sleep, you still have consciousness. How many people have dreams here? About 20. Everybody, when you sleep you have dreams. Some people don't remember the dreams that they have, but we could put some, you know, things on your head and take them and see when you're dreaming and when you're not dreaming. Everybody here dreams. So even when you sleep, there's a consciousness. You're dreaming. You're still active. So the idea that, that sleep is somehow, you know, you lose consciousness is not correct. And secondly, when it talks about sleep, it's referring to the physical body. Because when someone dies, if you've ever been to a funeral with an open casket, uh, you go to the body, which is, of course, just the seed, the, the spirit, the person's no longer there. It's just the shell. It's the seed. It's the physical seed to be planted, and it's going to be one day raised again. But the person has their eyes shut. It's sleeping, isn't it? The body is asleep. So the word sleeping is a euphemism for dying, and it refers to the state of the body, but also it refers to the fact that people have entered into their rest. Have you ever heard of um, chapels of rest? I don't know. Would you ever go there for a little relax, a little rest? Of course not. But that's, have you ever heard the word cemetery? Well, the word cemetery comes directly from the Greek word that simply means sleeping place. And so it's a euphemism, isn't it? A chapel of rest, a sleeping place. And of course, those that are believers have entered into their rest. Once, you know, for the believer, Paul says, it's better for me to be with the Lord, but I've still got work to do here on the earth. For the believer, when the believer dies and the spirit separates from the body, it is a wonderful moment at last, all your trials and tribulations are over, and you're going to go into the presence of the Lord. For, for the believer that dies, it is a wonderful moment. For everybody else that's left, it's not so wonderful, is it? Because we've lost someone, and we won't be with them until we go to be with the Lord. But that person has rested. That person has run their race. They've finished their course, and they've gone to be with the Lord. And I've mentioned some other passage, and we'll go to some other passage about the consciousness that takes place after death. Jesus said, you're going to be with me today in paradise. We know that Jesus was sent to preach in Hades. We'll go through all those phrases. He preached to the souls that were in Hades. How could he preach to them if they were all asleep? People only sleep in sermons in this life. <laughs> we've, we've already mentioned the parable of the rich men and, and Lazarus. And I'll be going a lot more into the consciousness uh, that we have after death and what happens to us after the death through, through that. Now, some people believe, and I will return to this, but I'll make mention of it because that's where we'll take it on next week. Some people believe that the human being is not created immortal, the spiritual part. Some people believe that human beings are created but when God created them in his image, he didn't create their spirits everlasting. Some people in the church believe that you only become immortal, existing forever, when you're born again. So they teach this. They say all human beings, when they're created, are not immortal. Again, when we talk about mortal and immortal, 
is a bit like when we talk about life and death. You have to ask yourself, is the word life about the physical life or eternal life, spiritual life? Is the word mortal about your spirit or about your body? Human beings are mortal, aren't they? We die. But does that mean that when you die, your spirit dies and your body dies? So, as I said, a lot of confusion comes where people take a word mortal, referring to the body, and think it refers to the spirit. But Paul says that our mortal bodies, as I read to you, our mortal bodies will be raised immortal. So your body is mortal. Your body's going to die. Your body's going to go back to the death, to the dust. But one day it's going to be raised mortal, immortal. It's going to be clothed with immortality. That's what's going to happen. And so remember, like I said, when we look at these passages, what is it talking about? And so they believe that human beings are not created immortal. And that the only people that become immortal live forever, are those that become Christians. That when you believe, and when you become born again, you are now going to live forever. And so in their view, when people die, there are two things that happen. Believers that die continue to exist and go to heaven. Unbelievers that die, well, they are, they are and this is the term, annihilated. It's the doctrine of annihilation. When they die, because they're not born again, they've not received eternal life. Their body is mortal. Their, spiritual, their spirit is mortal. So that when they die, the body's annihilated. They're annihilated. They cease to exist. Some annihilationists, this is what they are called, do believe that for a short while, those that aren't Christians exist in Hades or hell for a while. But in the end, they will cease to exist, okay? So there's two views. One, that the moment you die, if you're not a Christian, you cease to exist. That's annihilationism. But the more popular annihilationism, which is very popular in British churches today, is that when you die, if you're not a believer, you will exist for a period, your spirit, afterwards. But in the final moment of judgment, you will cease to exist. Hell is not eternal only heaven is. Well, we'll be looking at this a little bit more depth next week, but John chapter 1 verse 4 speaks about the immortality of all human being spirits. That all human beings, not physically, physically we're mortal, but all human beings are spiritually immortal if we mean that to mean that they will exist after death forever and ever and ever. All right? 1 John, sorry, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4. Excuse me. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, that is not talking about salvation. That is talking about the fact that Jesus is the creator. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were created by Him, and nothing that was created was created apart from Him. It's talking about the, the creating aspect of the Word of God. And then it moves into verse 4 and says, in Him was life. In other words, God is the only Word that can give life. And this life in John chapter 1 verse 4 is not talking about eternal life which is basically being in heaven. This is talking about, well, it's difficult because eternal life, when, you see, this is why we have to understand the phrases, don't we? Eternal life means going to heaven. That's what it means, receiving salvation and going to heaven. But you see, all human beings will exist eternally. Maybe that's a better word to use. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, the life, the, the existence that all human beings have comes from God. And John chapter 1 verse 9 says, That was the light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Giving light to every man coming into the world. Well, that can't be salvation, can it? 
Because not every man is saved. This again is reaffirming the fact that God is the creator. This is talking about the fact that light is eternal. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I'll, be, I'll be coming um, back to that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close right now. And we'll pick off from where I am next week. And we'll explore this immortality and existence more. So we find that human beings are basically of two natures. Body and spirit. And that when we die, it's not the end of our existence it is the temporary end of our bodily existence until the resurrection. And there will be a resurrection for the believers. But even those that are non-believers, their bodies will be raised at the second resurrection in the great white throne. So all human beings are going to end up with their bodies raised. But some will be raised to righteousness and some will be raised to judgment. And we'll go through all the judgments. We've got plenty of time there. When you die... If you were to die this moment, God forbid, you would not cease consciousness. You, you, you would just experience separation from body. And then you would go into wherever you're to go. And we'll come to that. So you will exist forever and ever and ever and ever. You will always exist Every human being will always exist as a spirit, even when they die. Death is not the end. You're not going to have a soul sleep. When you die, there will be a simple separation of your spirit from your body. To us that are around you, will have lost you. Your spirit will have gone to a different place. and Your body will have remained, but you will be conscious. We're going to pick this up next week, and then we're going to start talking about the different places that we're going to go or could go, and the experience. Don't you want to know the sort of experience that you're going to have after you die? This is just a few short seconds of eternity, but when you die, opens up to you a forever and ever existence, and we need to Go through that door in advance, if you like, through the Word of God and begin to see what it's like beyond death. These next weeks, this is just a beginning, these next weeks we're going to open the door of God's Word and we're going to step theologically beyond death and we're going to begin to explore what happens, what it's like beyond death. And as we do that, do you know what? It'll take away a lot of fear. It'll bring a lot of understanding and clarity that will actually affect how you live on earth. If you understand what happens beyond death, everything that's taking place on earth will actually begin to make more sense for you. Okay. Well, if you want to listen to this again, it will be up on the internet. Um, I raced through some concepts. And we'll be revisiting them next week in our next session. Thank you.